Welcome to the RotoRob.com Fantasy Football Weekly plus ATS Picks. Each week, your hosts Josh Johnson and Nick Wagner will give you goods to help you win your fantasy football crowd. Joshua Johnson, and my cat eats bacon grease. I think that's kind of weird, so I just thought I'd put that out there. Uh, he's eaten a lot of it recently, and it's definitely showing. But anyway, let's get to the football. Um, sorry about the dialing. We uh, need to call our, our featured expert today, and I've never done that on the switchboard. So we'll see. Uh, we're going to give that a go here in a second. Uh, with me, as always, is Nick. Hail to the Redskins Wagner from the beautiful Idaho. What's up, Nick? Oh, not much. Love the uh, Oklahoma State coach addition to the intro. <laughs> I'm a man. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and, of course, uh, waiting in the queue right now is Bonnie. Let's get him on. Oh, uh, Nick, you need to make a rap album so you can have intros like Bonnie. What's up, Bonnie? Yeah, it never gets old, man. <clears throat> I'll collab with you, Nick, if you're ready, man. I'll help you. You know, I'll go track for you. <laughs> if need be. Uh, okay. Well, uh, on today's show, like I said, our featured expert is uh, Matthew Marshall. He's from KWBS in Sisseton, South Dakota. He's the sports director. I'm going to give him a try to – we're going to try to switchboard and try to give him a call, but uh, we're going to outline our topics here for you. Um uh, Wire Troll All-Stars for the football season was posted on the site yesterday. If you haven't been there recently, go check that out. I uh, took a player every position, kind of our best recommendations, um, and I uh, wrote a little bit of piece about them. Uh, I'm also probably about 80% of the way through the story for the NFL Hall of Fame. That should be up next week. And, of course, make sure you listen to Roto Rob's Fantasy, football base, fantasy Baseball bot, Podcast. Excuse me. Listen to Rotor Rob's Fantasy Baseball Podcast tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Central Time on this same blog talk station. V, you going to be on that again tomorrow? Uh, not tomorrow. Oh. Hey there. The wife is right. making well, that, things. That might, I know that, that doesn't might sound be, manly. Yeah, yeah. That might mean uh, Tim McLeod might actually finally be back. And uh, not to take any ways from, from V being on that podcast. Uh, V's awesome on that podcast. But uh, Tim McLeod is a funny, funny man. So you guys need to check that out if Tim, if, uh, Tim is on. Uh, we're, so, like I said, we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame ballot as well, talk about the coaching changes, uh, some hires, talk about the games of this past weekend. Uh, we'll dive into the uh, – Upcoming 2014 draft, a little bit again. Uh, talk about some of the other quarterbacks besides the uh, the big guys on top. We'll do some trivia, and we'll get the wizard in here to do some ATS picks. Uh, let's try to call Matthew Marshall here. Let's let's see if this I get this to work. That was my other phone ringing. Sorry about that. Try to give him a buzz later. I'll maybe try to hit him up on Facebook while we're while we're doing the show too. Um, 
Matt, Matthew Marshall was the man that was crazy enough to give me a radio show back in the day. Um, so I want to have him on to kind of kind of repay me. He's kind of a, a, a key component to me uh, doing all this right now. We did some hockey games together, and I was on his show a couple times too. So he's certainly somebody that's uh, uh, very special to me, so I want to get him on, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll try again later. Uh, but anyway, moving on, let's uh, – what do you? Let's get into the Hall of Fame discussion, guys. You know what, Matthew was ready for that. So why don't we talk about some coaching changes here? Let's see if I can keep in contact with Matthew while we're waiting. Uh, what does Nick think about the Dolphins interviewing Kyle Shanahan for their offensive coordinator position? Now this happened like last Friday, but I knew I knew, knew Nick uh, might have a few a uh, few words to say about that. What do you got for us, Nick? Well, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, Kyle Shanahan was. Hello, Nick. Nick, are you there? Nick? Oh, V, V, are you there? Uh, yeah, I'm here. Oh, man, I do not know what is going on. We're having technical difficulties. Just got back on. Okay, no, it's, it, wasn't, it wasn't you. I, you. As soon as you started talking, I lost my line. So, oh, we are still streaming live. Uh, Nick? Did we get any of that at all about Kyle Shanahan? Go for it again. Uh, well, it just doesn't surprise me that he got an interview as an offensive coordinator position. You know, he was an offensive coordinator for the Texans before he got the job in D.C. It's not just because his dad was the head coach that he had the job there. And he's had pretty strong running games wherever he's gone. So, you know, for a team like the Dolphins who kind of struggled with the run, it doesn't surprise me they interviewed him for the job. I did hear today that the Dolphins hired a Philadelphia Eagles quarterbacks coach to actually get the job there for their offensive coordinator. But I do think Kyle Shanahan, if not this year, probably next year will be a coordinator somewhere around in the NFL. He was kind of a hot name for head coaching candidate as recently as last season. So, uh, V, got any thoughts on that matter? Um, well, I mean, obviously I've – I think uh, I think he just needs to be away from his father. I, I think he I think he does have talent. Um, I think he just again just needs to get you know just be away from his father. I I have issues with his father. Let me just put it like that. I have <laughs> issues, but outside of that, I, I think it makes sense. I mean, they need a more creative offense, and they need something to happen to somebody that's more QB centric. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, and again, sorry about the technical difficulties. Uh, we are on air according to Blog Talk, so I, I really hope this this all gets because we are we do we do a good job here, guys. I mean, there's no beating around the bush. We do a great job, so I, I enjoy it, and I want to make sure it's uh, people are getting what they want. Uh, moving on, uh, Ken Wisenhut to the Titans. Now, I personally kind of like this move. I think um, they have some quality uh, receivers on this team. And uh, Wisenhunt knows how to spread the ball around to receivers. Look at all the guys he's filtered through San Diego in the last couple of years. I, I think it's going to be a good move for them. Um, we'll see what Chris Johnson has left in the tank for this offense. But I, I, I like that like that move. What do you think, Nick? Uh, yeah, I agree. I think it's, you know, he's got experience as a head coach before, and he's had pretty decent offenses no matter where he's gone. I think it's definitely a good move. Hopefully he can help Jake Walker develop into a real quarterback. And if not this year, you'll think they'd probably be looking for a new quarterback next year. Yeah, what do you think, Pete? Um, I'm actually, I, I do think it's a good hire. And I actually don't think, I'm actually curious to see if Jake Walker even gets the start. I mean, I actually think, this works a little bit better, and I think he actually works a little bit better with, with Wisenhunt just because of the fact that you get a lot of those short-range plays, a lot of things working out in the backfield, which um, uh, uh, Fitz, is, it, it does a, does a, Fitzpatrick does a very good job in, in the short, intermediate routes. It's just he can't throw deep. 
and people are able to put it, you know, the fix on it. So being able to do an offense that allows you to do a lot of intermediate passes, a lot of dump off, a lot of screens, things of that nature, I think will do well for them. And I'm super happy because it opened up the opportunity for, for my man, uh, comeback King Frank Wright, to get uh, promoted to um, – uh, offensive coordinator for the uh, Chargers. So I'm super pumped about that because I love Frank Wright. So it works out for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What do you think? Uh, um, what do you guys think about Caldwell to the Lions? Now this team is, uh, you know, they've gotten some bad press over the, kind of some of the wild players. But there is talent there, obviously Megatron and Stafford. Um, I think there might be some concern about the running game, considering the Baltimore running game that Caldwell came from last year was not very strong. Uh, Nick, what do you think about Caldwell to the Lions? Well, you know, I understand that they need somebody to come and bring some discipline into that team, but if you look at Caldwell's overall record without Peyton Manning, it's not very good. So, you know, I'd be a little skeptical about this, but they definitely, you know, it was pretty loose loosely ran ship, I think, there under Schwartz. So I think the Hill Caldwell will at least have them play more disciplined football. Yeah, what do you think, V? Well, you know, going from Peyton Manning to Joe Flacco is about to do a little something to your record. Um, but <laughs> it, you know, so that's going to be the significant drop-off. But I, I do think the discipline piece of it is really important. I mean, if that team plays discipline, I mean, they gave away half of the games. I mean, you just got like five Tony Romo's on that team. I mean, so if they can get that squared away, you know, I think they win. I think they pick up three games just by not being idiots. So, um, so I definitely think it'll be a benefit. Uh, you heard it here first. They pick up three games just by not being idiots. Uh, that should be <laughs> on a pillow somewhere. Um, if you if you just took Indomitian Sue's penalties and not being on the field, if you just put that back in, I promise you they win at least two games. It, it, just him. <laughs> Maybe they can add the fines that he's paid to their overall salary cap. How about that? Um, exactly. Uh, <laughs> uh, moving on to the past games of the week, let's give Matthew Marshall the benefit of the doubt. Give him one more call. We'll give him five rings. How about that? Five rings. Okay. And I hope this isn't what screwed us up last time, but we'll see. thing is, when we're on Blog Talk during the day, I don't think there's too many other people on. So. Oh. Hello. Mr. Matthew? Mr. Matthew, are yeah. you there? Matthew yeah. Marshall? KB or KWBF? What's up, yeah, KBWF. KBWF, yes. The uh, sports director, uh, KBWF, in Sisseton, South Dakota. Um, Matthew, I kind of already introduced you as a... Uh, one of the mans that one of the man that got me going all in this radio world. Uh, what's up today, bud? Not much. I am driving in this beautiful weather up north in this blizzard-like conditions. Blizzard-like conditions. Okay. Well, we won't keep uh. you too long. We, we got to <laughs> debate. We got to debate some Hall of Fame names. Uh, so let's uh, do it. Um, we uh, there are 15 people on the ballot. Um, I've asked everybody to kind of pick a couple guys. Um, Matthew, uh-huh. we are on. We are on with V and Nick, and of course you know me. Uh, so we we got kind of a nice little round table going here. I asked everybody a couple pick a guy, pick a couple guys that they think should go in, and kind of talk about them. Before we get to them, I want to. I I just think it is a crime that Steve Atwater is not in the Hall of Fame yet. I could not believe that he was not in the Hall of Fame yet. Um, I, I actually I, I agree with you on that one. I simply yeah. agree because uh, Steve Atwater, one of the greatest players for the Broncos, and I'm very shocked that he's not in. Yeah, I mean, the guy hit like a Hall of Famer. Uh, it's, I I can't see why you're going to put John Lynch in before uh, Steve Atwater. Oh, but, uh, oh. no, no, I, I agree with you. I I I rather see Steve Atwater first before yeah. John Lynch, but uh, you know, it's his opinions and stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so, uh, Matthew, uh, who you want to who do you want to talk about? Who do you think should get in? Uh, Mr. Brown, I think he should be in for sure. Uh, one of the greatest receivers of all time for your Oakland Raiders. Yes, sir. And and uh, let's see who else is on the ballot that should be in. I don't know who who's on the ballot. Just just random, throw them out because I don't know who's on the ballot. Sure. 
Yeah, you're in your car here. We got uh, Martin Anderson. Uh, who needs a kicker? Seriously. Jerome Bettis. Oh. Jer- Derek, Derek Brooks. Tim Brown. Eddie DeBartolo Jr. Tony Dungy. Kevin Green. Charles Haley. Marvin Harrison. Walter Jones. John Lynch. Andre Reed, who B is going to talk about. We knew that was coming. Will Shields. Michael uh-huh. Strahan. And Aeneas Williams. Well, Strahan will be in for a couple of years. you got to put Tony Dungy in there. Uh, maybe not this year, but next year. Uh, uh, who could be in? Mort Anson should be in. One of the greatest kickers of all time. You know, he had that one. Everybody remember him for that one kick uh, in '98 when he played the Falcons for the NFC Championship no. game, and where he missed you're it. The, you're thinking of the wrong Anderson, but yeah, you know, that's right. I mean, dude, whoever it's both both a kicker and a Yeah, we, I'm, I'm not too concerned about kickers. But, uh, no, who who, yeah. who cares about kickers unless you live in South Dakota? The only person I retain to you is Adam Ben Barry. Exactly, exactly. Um, you know, I I could talk about Tim Brown, but that's like a father talking about his son. Obviously, the guy's got a hundred touchdowns. If he's not, if he don't come yeah. in, there's there's something wrong with the system. Uh, uh, yep. Nick, who do you want? Who do you want to talk about, Nick? Uh, well, I'm going to start with Derek Brooks. You know, you look at the criteria for Hall of Famer, there's kind of an unwritten checklist, but Brooks passes pretty much every check on that. So, you know, you want to talk Pro Bowls, he's got 11 of them, including 10 in a row. He's a six-time uh, first-team All-Pro. He's got a Defensive Player of the Year award and a Super Bowl ring with an interception for a touchdown in that Super Bowl. Really, the only thing that could hurt him is his sack total, only 13 and a half career sacks. But he's got six defensive touchdowns. That's tied for the record for linebackers. I think that definitely compensates for that. And then uh, I definitely agree with you, Tim Brown. You know, for some reason, it takes longer for these wide receivers to get into the Hall of Fame than other positions. You know, you look at a guy like Art Monk, who was denied entrance for years, even though he had more catches than anyone that was in the Hall of Fame at the time. Uh, you know, Tim Brown's got nine Pro Bowls, you know, two of them as a returner and seven as a receiver, and just with a model of consistency throughout his career. You know, 176 consecutive starts at receiver, 10 straight 75-catch seasons, 147 straight games with a catch, uh, even at a 12-catch game at 36 years old. I mean, Tim Brown definitely should be in there. And then if I was doing a ballot, I'd probably throw Strahan in there, uh, Kevin Green, and Ray Guy. You know, they say if you change the game, you should be in the Hall of Fame. And they say that uh, hang time wasn't a stat until Ray Guy came around. So I I think it's time for one punter to get in. Yeah, one punter. Love love some punters. Uh, V, who do you want to talk about, bud? <clears throat> well, well, first of all, just to, just to set up how how biased I am about this, I'm actually mad that Steve Tasker didn't make the even the semifinalist list, the greatest special teams player uh, uh, maybe ever. Okay, so let me start by saying that that's my that's my first protest. But obviously, what I I have to talk about and uh, is is Andre Reid, man. Andre Reid not being in the Hall of Fame to me is so ridiculously absurd. I, I cannot take it. And it's just everything wrong with every Hall of Fame ever. It is because people are playing the game of this guy shouldn't be first time this. You know, he shouldn't go in before that person. If the person's name comes in front of you and that person should be in the Hall of Fame, you vote for them to be in the Hall of Fame. It drives me mad. You're talking about a situation where the first thing you got to start asking yourself is, is are we judging people off? Is this an individual um, uh, uh, goal, or is it based off of team accomplishments being Super Bowls? If it's based off of Super Bowls, then you can maybe explain to me how somebody like Michael Irving is in the Hall of Fame with 750 receptions, less than 1,200 yards, and less than 60, and 65 touchdowns. And then you can maybe help me understand why somebody like Andre Reid, who went to four consecutive AFC championships, four consecutive Super Bowls, played in five AFC championship games, had 951 receptions, had 87 touchdowns, over 1,300 yards, 3,600 yard, uh, yard and 15 reception games, nine consecutive seasons with the 50-plus, uh, which at the time only Jerry Rice had better. And then we're talking about postseason. He, if, if we're talking about the playoffs, he said 85 catches for 1,229 yards in the postseason. He said 500-yard games in the postseason. I mean, it, it's absolutely absurd. And, and most people would make the most people would make the case when you don't have enough help, and you're one of those people. He had help. 
and, and he still was able to accomplish these numbers. Mostly when you're a receiver, when you're the only option is when you get this type of attention. But you're talking about a situation where you have people like Thurman Thomas and Kenneth Davis and people who are viable options where you might not see the ball for half of the game, and he was able to accomplish it. Not to mention three touchdowns and the greatest comeback ever. He had every single tandem record with Jim Kelly that there was until they were broken by Marvin Harrison, who, I, who ironically enough, enough is also up um, – uh, Marvin Harrison and Peyton Manning. So when you go down, and there's just no way he went across the middle. He accomplished these numbers before it was a pass first uh, um, football game, and he was great in the playoffs and a great teammate. I just think the biggest issue with Andre Reid is that he did not self promote enough, and that's what makes me sick. The same problem with Art Monk. People who just do their job don't get into the Hall of Fame because they don't have a good enough PR person. And so um, that's my rant. Um, that's yeah. my little thing. But I can't. I can't take it. It makes me crazy. Well, and here's the thing about Andre Reid. I want to talk about him too. I mean, I, and you're going to read more about that when you see my article next week. I've never seen a receiver as tenacious as Andre Reid. Just a pure aggressive receiver. I mean, he who is never afraid to to dig his to get you know get his nose dirty and make a play. You know, and he made the most of his opportunities. His stats may not be like the top five of all time, but that was on a, Like you said, there's plenty of people on that offense. He, he made the most of his opportunities. I mean, it's just, just a great aggressive receiver in, in the Buffalo cold. I mean, yeah, I, I think if you're going to put in Marvin Harrison, you got to put in Reed and Tim Brown before him. I mean, uh, Marvin Harrison is somebody else I want to talk about. Now, Marvin Harrison has 128 career touchdowns. 112 of those came from Peyton Manning. we got to ask ourselves, what does Marvin Harrison do with three or four different quarterbacks, not playing just with one quarterback the whole time? I've, I believe that a guy like Jerry Rice made Joe Montana and Steve Young Hall of Fame quarterbacks. I don't know if Mar- Marvin Harrison made Peyton Manning as I think what's going on definitely is, is vice versa. And let's not forget Marvin Harrison had Reggie Wayne on the other side of him for most of his career. Who Reggie Wayne, when I think it's all said and done, I don't care what his numbers are, comparatively so. When it's all said and done, I think Reggie Wayne is a top five receiver of all time. So I just don't know. I mean, obviously the sheer amount of touchdowns Marvin Harrison scored are going to get him in the Hall of Fame. But I just don't think you can do it before some of these other guys. Um, uh, that's my little rant there. And when I first looked at um, this list, I thought, Kevin Green? Why is Kevin Green in this list? Do you know that Kevin Green is third all-time in sacks? He has 160 career sacks behind only only Reggie White and Bruce Smith. I had no clue. And this guy had double-digit sacks for four different teams. I mean, that is insane. Uh, He's a beast. That's what he is. He is a beast. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So uh, that's uh, my, that's my little Hall of Fame. Um, if you guys, uh, Matthew, what do you think about some of these guys that? Uh, let's see, some of these guys that didn't didn't get that didn't get the nod the semifinals. We talked about Steve uh, Atwater, uh, Don Coryell. I mean, why is he not in the Hall of Fame? Roger Craig, Terrell Davis, Joe Jacoby, Jimmy Johnson, uh, Carl Mecklenburg, Paul Tagliabue, Steve and Steve Wisniewski. What do you think about any of those guys? Don't, that didn't make the well, well Trump Davis should be on there. I don't know why he's not. He he helped boosted John Elway to get into not one but two Super Bowls and win that. Because before Trump, before the Broncos had Terrell Davis, they were not a good team as uh, to get to make the, uh, to the Super Bowl. And of course, when you put Terrell Davis in there, unfortunately, you know we got cut short due to injuries. But still, a heck of a player. And I'm just shocked that he's not in there. And uh, with Jim Johnson. Not trying to be a biased third homer because my Cowboys, but I'm just saying he after you know all the things to be done in the NFL and keeping a team intact with all those high egos, that takes a lot to do, especially with it with uh, with a few Super Bowl rings. Doesn't help <laughs> or help as well too. And then uh, let's see, Paul uh, with the Tagaboo, he should have been in because what well, he he revolutionized uh, the NFL. He he changes things that 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 we look at nowadays like. Oh my God, we're doing this! I can't, I can't believe we made it this far with this. So that's, those are my three that I should be getting. Okay, anybody, uh, Matthew? Can you stick around? Or do you need to concentrate on the road? Uh, I can stick around for a little bit. Okay, uh, Nick. I know you wanted to talk about uh, 
one of your hogs and Joe Jacoby will give it to us, but uh, well, first off, I definitely agree with you guys on Steve Atwater. You know, when I think of hard-hitting, the most feared safeties in my time, I, three names pop into mind right away, Ronnie Lott, Sean Taylor, and Steve Atwater. And, you know, nothing against John Lynch and Rodney Harrison. Those guys are probably next on the list, but I definitely would throw Atwater in there ahead of those two. Uh, and then, yeah, Joe Jacoby. He's a two-time All-Pro, four straight Pro Bowls. He's a member of the 1980s NFL All-Decade team and a three-time Super Bowl champion. Uh, really, the Hogs are, you know, probably one of the top two or three offensive lines of all time, and they only have one Hall of Famer. That's just a joke. Come on, Joe Jacoby should at least be on the finalist list. <laughs> uh, v, any, any thoughts on some of those guys that got snubs? No, I, I agree that the whole Hall of Fame, for the most part, needs to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, if, if, if not, just for the simple fact that that unit was such an impressive unit, especially with this love affair that, I mean, honestly, the Hall of Fame has had for offensive linemen and, and, or linemen in general. Um, if, 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 if they treated, you know, receivers the way they treat linemen, then, you know, we, we, you know, we wouldn't be having some of the conversations that we're having. So I find it kind of surprising. Um, that he's not in yet, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, and that's probably the biggest standout. And obviously you guys talked about uh, Paul Tagley Boone. We talked about revolutionizing the draft process and things of that nature. There's no draft process in any sport anywhere in the world, uh, well, perhaps soccer, that has the type of energy and anticipation that NFL drafts have. I mean, to be able to go to where you're going three days and to be able to move it to prime time is absurd for a draft. That's crazy. And then for people to watch for five days at the combine, it's nuts. So some of the things that he's done is, is I mean, outrageous in terms of, you know, the modern era major sports. So those would be the two ones for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the NFL draft, is it's an event. It's, I mean, there's no, that's not something that even really comes close to it in other sports in terms of in terms of draft-wise. Uh, yeah, that's – yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah. Uh, I want to say one thing about Roger Craig, and and I, you know, I don't I don't know what his career numbers are. I do know that he's I think maybe the only player to have a thousand yards rushing and receiving in the same season. Um, but he was obviously a key component to that Forty Nine er machine. I mean, they, I don't think they do what they do without him. You know, making plays here and there to move things along. Yes, they had Jerry Rice. Yes, they had the Montana. You know, but uh, I just don't. I don't think you can keep a guy like that out who's such a key cog to really a great dynasty there in uh, San Francisco. And that's uh, another guy in the in the in on the ballot is Eddie DeBardwell Jr., who kind of built that dynasty. I mean, I think as fo- as sports fans, we all appreciate a, a really good dynasty, whether we think we think we do or not, unless it's like a division rival. Um, it's kind of fun to see such dominance over like a three or four or five, you know, even like an eight to ten year period. I think it's kind of fun. That's just I think we can all certainly appreciate that. Actually, really more if it's our team. Uh, but uh, if it's our division four, I can I can understand where people shy away from that a little bit. Uh, well, actually, uh, if I can say one thing too, actually, sure. one thing that I I, I I wish that there's some way that we can finally deal with. I don't think I don't think coaches and owners and, and commissioners should be up with players. You know what I mean? I think that should just be a separate thing. I just think it's I think it's kind of absurd to have a player that deserves to get in get bounced around in this stupid game that they um play with each other because you gotta put in a coach. I mean the coaches are deserving, owners are deserving, all that type of stuff. But I think that should just be handled separately. Players should go in with players and then, you know, coaches and ownership and all that type of stuff should go in separately. I I, I just think it, it it would make the the law jams a little bit easier to get through. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. Um, Matthew, if you're still good to stick on, we're going to talk about the uh, games of the past weekend. Um, actually, I might have to dip for this one. But um, right. I do want to say one thing about um, uh, John and Manziel, because I know that's what's going to happen later. I, I know. The Vikings draft. Go for it. If, if the Vikings are going to draft John and Manziel, the Vikings might well just cancel the rest of their season because it's going to be an uh, atrocious event. Because when you have okay, you you did well in the you know in college. Ooh, big deal! But when you play against you know JJ Watt and uh, who else do you play with? A good, good linebacking core uh, with uh, Clay Matthews and Demarcus Ware coming at your face and great safeties that we have in this league. You're not going to wing the ball like you did in college. 
That's just me on it. Okay. Well, thank you, Matthew, so much for joining us. Um, I know our mutual friend Travis Kearns is going to disagree with you there, so you guys might have to talk about yeah. that. Well, Maybe you know, we'll that's, you on, on. <laughs> that's, that's cool and all, but, uh, you know, make sure everybody can hit me up on Twitter, KBWS Marshall. Uh, well, I do have, I post blogs about the Minnesota Vikings, usually on a weekly basis, and now since, you know, we're getting a new head coach, I will be talking about that as well, too, here in the next few days. Okay, yeah, and we'll have all that uh, in the write-up for this podcast. So thank you, Matthew, and we'll, we'll definitely have you on again, talk about your Cowboys a little bit more, all right? Sound good? Yeah. All right, thanks, Josh. All right, take care, bud. Okay, uh, Seattle continues to roll. Uh, wasn't pretty at the end. Uh, they did they did get the win. Uh, what do you, Nick, what do you think about uh, Seattle's big win over New Orleans? Well, of course, Marshawn Lynch's uh, 140 yards and two touchdowns were the biggest story. And, again, it's nearly impossible for opposing teams to win in Seattle. Uh, the Seahawks limited the Saints' normally explosive offense to only one play of over 25 yards, and that was a 52-yarder to Robert Meacham, of all people. I think they maybe just didn't cover him because they thought it was a fan in an old jersey running out on the field. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, Seattle also did a good job uh, – uh, carrying that over that game plan over to special teams. Uh, Shane Graham shanked two field goals for the Saints while uh, Stephen Hauschko went three for three. And John Ryan only averaged 36.7 yards per punt, but not one of his six punts were, was returned by a dangerous New Orleans special teams. So I just think it was a great overall team win for the Seahawks. Yeah, what, what do you think about people banging on Russell Wilson because of the dip in production? I just think, you know, until he throws a, a a pick at the end of the game to cost his team a game, how can you blame this guy? He's just winning. That's all. That's all he's doing. That's what's important, right? Yeah, exactly. And especially when the running game's churning like it was, you know, 140 yards on the ground for Marshawn Lynch. You know, if you don't need to put it in the air, why would you risk it? It's risk the turnovers, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, we we saw that exact same thing with uh, New England, just running all over the the Colts. Uh, v, what do you think about uh, Seattle over over New Orleans? Well, first of all, as far as Russell Wilson is concerned, I mean, you know, Vince Young is a prime example that how you win does matter. I don't care how much people say winning is the only thing that matters; it's absolutely not the case. You know, um, if if people feel like they can win better, <laughs> then 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 they're going to ride you. But Russell Wilson played a great game. I mean, at the end of the day, they were putting a, a decent amount of pressure. He was escaping the pocket. He was making smart plays. He was checking down. He was doing what a quarterback who wants to win the Super Bowl is supposed to do. He was laying down his personal stats to make sure his team won, which they did. Um, you know, I believe from the beginning that I just cannot find myself going against Seattle at home. I just can't do it. I mean, at the end of the day, there's been a lot of opportunities where you can see how they could lose. But at the end of the day, keeping Drew Brees to, I believe it was under 50 passing yards in the first half is crazy. I mean, I mean, so your, your defense is lights out. Those corners are ridiculous. And you have a quarterback in, in, in a run game. First of all, let me just say something about Marshawn Lynch because, you know, Beast Mode is my guy. You know, he was a former, former Buffalo Bill. But this is what you talk about when you see somebody like Trent Richardson, and every single time I see this man, I cringe and, and just can't stand it. The exact opposite of that, the exact opposite of that man is Marshawn Lynch. He hits a hole, he finds the scene, and he blasts people. You see shoulder tackles start to turn to arm tackles, and then you start to see those big chunks come out, and then he's terror in the red zone. So um, I just think it's just going the way it's supposed to go for them. I thought Vegas was really trying to do their best to, <laughs> to mess up some lines, um, I, I don't know what kind of – I don't want to be conspiracy, man, but I feel like some funniness was going on a little bit. Um, but Seattle at home is just it's, – it's just tough to beat. Yeah, they have another yeah. seismic event, in fact. So that's the second time they've done that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so Sam Fran uh, goes to Carolina and kind of out-veterans of the young Carolina team. Nick, what do you think about yeah, uh, Sam Fran with the biggest, well, I guess not the biggest margin of victory, but a nice, a nice victory on the road? Yeah, well, to me, Carolina kind of reminds me a little bit of the Eagles. You know, completely different styles of football, of course, but just a young, talented team just kind of getting their feet wet in the playoffs for the first time that I think is going to be really tough moving forward. But as far as San Francisco goes, I'll be honest with you, I've never been a huge Colin Kaepernick guy, 
But you have to respect the fact that, well, the other young quarterbacks go out and turn the ball over, you know, two picks for Cam Newton, four picks for Andrew Luck. Uh, Kaepernick just continues to be very solid during the postseason. Uh, You know, a little side note on the upcoming matchup. Uh, Don't be shocked if and when we see ejections this week in San Francisco-Seattle game. Anquan Bolton was a bit out of control last week with his temper, and at times the Seattle defense, you know, they're very hard-hitting, and they can be borderline thuggish sometimes. I'd almost be surprised if tempers didn't flare in this game between probably the two hardest-hitting teams in football. Uh, As we saw last week, maybe before the game even starts. Uh, V, what did you think about uh, Sam Fran beating Carolina? Well, it's just that. I mean, it's just a level of maturity. It's just one team that is just a little bit more seasoned than another. I mean, uh, Carolina can't really hang their heads. I mean, obviously there's no more victories or anything like that, but these guys are a good team with a great defense a great and a great uh, uh, quarterback. Um, I, I've said it several times during the year. I cannot stand the Carolina backfield. Can't <laughs> take it. Can't take it. Can't take it. I mean, they absolutely have to make their number one priority in the world. But two, number one is finding a suitable replacement for C. Smith because that is about done. And then, um, and then they got to find some running backs that could be effective. I mean, those guys are not effective at all. They take no pressure off of them, and they were coming after Cam Newton something terrible. And uh, you know, and, and he's a big guy. He's hard to take down. But when you're talking about a defense that hits like they do, that is, has the size that they do, they're going to be able to get you down to the ground. And that's really what the difference was. You just had a more machine, more mature team, and, and and like I thought, the defenses for the most part are were kind of a wash. Um, I think uh, San Francisco is a touch better just because of the experience. And then uh, um, San Francisco's offense is just a little bit better, you know, less mistakes and a better running game. You know, it's pretty much yeah. as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure Carolina knows that Darren McFadden's a free agent, so maybe they want to maybe they want to go after him. <laughs> anybody, uh, anybody. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I just – I really thought Carolina was going to pull something out out of the hat in this one, and my, but uh, I think it was uh, certainly a good uh, a good maturing game for this team, and I think I think they'll you'll see a, a good team next year. Um, you know, Drew Brees is certainly on the way the way out. He's got a few a few years left, but uh, those, those are going to be that's going to be a good rival, I think, for the next two or three years of Carolina and New Orleans. Um, Sam Fran, you know, they just. They just make plays to win. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. I mean, obviously, they have the biggest test of them all going to uh, Seattle, a place that's been pretty harsh for them over the last couple of years. Uh, but uh, certainly an impressive win for me. I, for, I, I was impressed by that win, definitely. What they did to Carolina on the road, I think San Francisco won like eight straight road games or something like that, two in the playoffs. That's, that's pretty wild. Uh, Denver escapes. Um and I chose that headline because I lost some money on Denver. I don't know why I continue to bet on games that involve the San Diego Chargers, but I do. And uh, they just didn't cover. They had to. They had to backdoor and score a touchdown late on me. Uh, Nick, what do you think about Denver escaping against the Chargers? Well, you know, like we talked about last week, division games tend to be pretty tough in the playoffs, but this really didn't feel like a close game until the fourth quarter. You know, San Diego really shot themselves in the foot. So many offsides penalties. But uh, late in the year, injuries play a factor. You know, Ryan Matthews was only able to handle five carries before leaving the game. They've really had a patchwork offensive line all year long, and then Danny Woodhead also got hurt. That's a lot to overcome on the road against this Peyton Manning Omaha offense. Yeah, what do you think, V? Uh, same thing. You know, it's kind of how I saw the way going. I mean, I, you know, I, I felt like Denver would win the game, but I knew, you know, I knew San Diego was going to give them all that they, they can handle. And, again, you know, it was one of those situations where there was a lot of opportunities on both sides that were left on the table. I mean, Denver, Denver obviously could have scored, could have scored more. Um, but it was one of those situations that, you know, when you're dealing with those rivalry games, I mean, they're always going to play close. And the Chargers definitely did have – um, a chance to win that game. But, again, I mean, it's one of those things where it would have been sad if they did because Denver is the better team. And um, I think Denver deserved to win, and they should win, and I think that they're probably the front runner to, you know, obviously represent the uh, AFC in the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's been, there was a certain point this year where Denver just stopped 
putting the throttle down. And I thought we were going to see that in the playoffs. We, we haven't yet. They're just doing what they need to do to win. Um, and uh, I think, you know, I don't think they're going to be able to do that if they want to beat Tom Brady this weekend. But uh, I guess I guess we'll see what happens. Um, I am so glad San Diego is finally out of out of the out of the picture. Let's just say that. Uh Brady teaches Mr. Andrew Luck a lesson and Andrew Luck INT's his way out of the playoffs. Now last week Nick ranted about Andy Dalton. Because he threw two picks. Let's let's give Andrew Luck some dirt in the face for throwing seven INTs in two games. Seven interceptions in two games. He threw nine during the regular season, seven in the playoffs. And that first one Right away in that game against New England was terrible. He bird dogged his top receiver for the entire play. No wonder it was throwing as an interception. They almost returned for a pick six. Uh, Nick, what'd you think about uh, the Pats basically running all over the Colts? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. You just can't throw four interceptions and win, especially in the postseason. You know, he got lucky last week with the huge comeback, and it was neat to see last week, but, you know, you can't do that week in and week out, make mistakes early and expect to win. But you also got to remember, Luck didn't give up six rushing touchdowns. Well, Garrett Bluff looked like Corey Dillon on steroids last week. It's just really impressive how the Patriots Patriots have morphed into a running team over the last couple years from the high-powered passing attack they were, you know, four or five years ago. They're really going to have to pound the ball this week if they want to win in Denver, you know, keep uh, Peyton Manning off the field and try to run that clock as much as possible. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it, but that's definitely going to be their game plan. Yeah, V, what do you think about uh, New England and, Col- and the Colts? Uh, same thing, same way I saw it. I, you know, as like I said, as a person who's been abused by Tom Brady for the last decade, I have an intimate knowledge of what this squad is capable of and, and what Bill Belichick is capable of. And he's going to just rock a game plan. You know, he's just going to rock a game plan. In fact, the only game that these guys really lose in these type of situations is to those teams that they have that type of rivalry with. You know what I mean? They might lose to the Ravens. They might lose to the Broncos, you know, and obviously the Giants. But it's only those type of situations where you have those games where they where they kind of where they, where they fall apart. I mean, Andrew Luck, the thing about it is, is that sometimes, you know, because he was a you know, second-year quarterback, you have a lot of latitude in terms of throwing in big games, especially when you got Andy Dalton saying things like the game might be too big for him. You don't get that feeling from Andrew Luck, and that's why I think he gets a little bit more latitude because he can pull out a game like uh, uh, last, you know, the week before and, and, and come back. Before interceptions, it's just, it's just too much to ask your defense uh, to try to uh, bring you back from, especially when one of them is a pick six. But I mean, he was he was playing a little bit above his uh, 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 a little bit above his skill set, you know, going against Tom Brady. I think people want that to be a thing a little bit quicker than it's ready to be a thing. I mean, it's still Tom Brady. You know, so that kind of went the way I I expected, and um, you know these are these are two games, you know Seattle, San Francisco, and Denver, and uh, uh, New England. These are the type of games that are supposed to happen, that you want to have happen, and this is the way to me the playoffs are supposed to work. As much as we like Cinderella teams, I don't mind that happening a little bit here and there for a second round, but also going to be I want the best playing the best, and that's what's happening right now. So the NFL is getting it right. Yeah, yeah, most. Most definitely. I it's I don't know, I just Brady you know, Brady just does what he needs to do. I just I, it yeah, we'll see. It's gonna be an interesting game. I said to Nick before we got started here, I think we couldn't ask for two better matchups, you know, defense versus defense, legendary quarterback versus legendary quarterback. And I uh certainly excited about these games. I that what uh the the you know it's obviously going to be excited about the Super Bowl because no matter what happens this weekend we're going to have a very good matchup in the Super Bowl. Um, moving on, one of the my favorite moments of the week and one of the most popular segments in all of podcasting land is a little something that we like to call Nick Rants. Uh, so I give Nick the floor just to go off about something that's bothering him. Uh, he's got some coaching stuff on his mind, so we're going to get some. I'm going to get a little audio clip to get us pumped up and maybe a, a belly chin, before, a belly before laugh. Start, yeah. uh, before you start, I'm, I actually got to take off, but um, I'm going to try right. to listen because one of my favorite parts is Nicky Rance. I love it. But um, I'm going to take off, so thank you, guys. I'll see you uh, next week. All right, V, have a good one, bud. All right. 
right, next. I'm not calling you ugly. I just thought that was fun. Uh, <laughs> give it to us, but. All right, well, first off, I just think all the Dan Snyder haters who continue to say the Redskins will never win as long as he's there need to just shut up and really look, at, look deep into the facts. You know, 10, 12 years ago, yes, he was a bad owner. He's made some mistakes, most notably firing Marty Schottenheimer after one 8-8 eight eight season and keeping Vinny Serrato around as GM for way too long. You know, Vinny was pretty much nothing more than a yes man while he was there. But the assertion that Dan is just impossible to work for and will fire you for, for looking at him the wrong way is just not accurate. He's made some bad hires, but who wouldn't have fired Norv Turner after seven years in one playoff berth? Or Jim Zorn, who was obviously in way over his hedge going from quarterbacks coach to head coach and finished his second season 4-12. and And, of course, the Shanahan debacle this year. But I think those coaches would have been fired anywhere in the NFL with those performances. And the other guys, uh, Joe Gibbs uh, retired and Steve Spurrier resigned. You you know, Shanahan had final say over personnel written into his contract. He ran the team with virtually no owner interference for the last four years. And really, if the beef is that the owner is providing security for the quarterback's wife to and from games, that's really meddling. As a coach, I'd be grateful, hey, my most important player doesn't have to worry about his family's safety during the games. Pretty much all Dan Snyder did was give Shanahan everything he, uh, Mike wanted. New practice facilities, done. Moved training camp to Virginia, done. Shanahan ran this team 100% his way and failed miserably. Dan tried to be patient, but 3-13 and 13 after four years, they were really the worst, most disappointing Redskin team I can recall watching. But I think you have to blame Mike Shanahan for that, not Dan Snyder. That being said, uh, Jay Gruden, the new coach, has been a little controversial in his first few days. Uh, I'm not going to focus really on his short resume, but his first few decisions as coach. First, uh, they say that all signs are pointing to us bringing uh, our defensive coordinator, Jim Haslett, back. Uh, because Gruden said that we're built for the 3-4 defense wrong. You know, we may have ran the 3-4 defense for the last few years, but we've never ran it well. And right now, we have uh, exactly one linebacker under contract. One. Ryan Kerrigan. That's it. That's our linebacker. And our top two defensive ends are coming off injury. Uh, How are we built to run anything, a 3-4 or any defense? They should just be blowing it up and starting fresh. You know, the last time Jim Haslett led a top 10 defense was as a head coach in the year 2000. You have to go back to 97 for the last time as a defensive coordinator he had a top 10 defense. You know, you'd think even if everybody was signed, they would just still want to blow it up and start fresh. And speaking of uh, fresh, we promoted our tight ends coach to offensive coordinator at 27 years old. You know, maybe he's some sort of prodigy, but I think the only time I would have ever considered hiring a 27-year-old to be my offensive coordinator would be in some alternate universe where Peyton Manning had a catastrophic injury at 25 and couldn't play again. Yeah, a 27-year-old Peyton Manning could be offensive coordinator, but, you know, I really hope Jay Gruden can prove me wrong. And with a healthy RG3, anything can happen. But his first couple moves leave me scratching my head a little bit. What do you think about that, Josh? Well, you were certainly more well-versed on uh, the Washington Redskins than I am. Um, but, I, you know, I think having an, an offensive mind there can, can certainly help. But it's gonna, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how everything meshes and how they accept, uh, you know, adversity throughout the year. That's going to be key, especially in – Year number one, and I hope you know. I hope that you guys obviously you know can pull things together and give Gruden two or two you know the two or three years to to make this team uh, into a solid contender. You know, I feel like Shanahan kind of slipped into the playoffs last year um, because uh, the the the, the comp- competition in your guys' division was basically slowly deteriorating, and I think we saw that all come to a head this year. But uh, so uh, that being said, you know I think Gruden's job could be a little bit easier because of the, you know, because of of the division with the Giants being as terrible as they are and Romo making bad decision after bad decision. Uh, you know the Eagles are certainly certainly uh, look like the team to beat right now. But uh, I think I think you're going to see some good things there, and I think uh, you know he knows he knows how to use the top receivers. At, at certain points, but sometimes that kind of fizzles away, and that, that does concern me a, get, 
uh, a bit, but uh, we'll talk more about that as we as we plunge on and get to team by team draft needs over over the uh, off season here. Um, moving on, we've discussed David Carr, Johnny Manziel. Uh, Matthew hit us up with some Manziel talk a little bit earlier, and uh, Teddy Bridgewater. Now let's talk a little bit about the rest of the the kind of the top shelf quarterbacks here in the draft. Um, Blake Bortles impressed both me and Nick. Uh, in the Fiesta Bowl, he threw two early picks and recovered to have one hell of a game. Uh, Nick, what do you think about Blake Bortle? Well, yeah, I, I really liked him before the Fiesta Bowl, and I just love him now as a, probably the number two quarterback in the draft. You know, a leader has to be able to overcome adversity, and he proved that he could do that with an ugly start against a higher-ranked opponent. He really hung in there and turned things around and got a win. You know, if he slips past Cleveland at number four, I will be shocked. Well, I hope that happens because I would, out of all the quarterbacks in the draft, I, I I would love him to be the Raiders draft draft pick. But uh, uh, can't can't Cleveland take Manziel? Can't they do that and crush all those Vikings dreams? But uh, yeah, I just um, you know, and I, and I wrote a little bit about Bortles in our in our mock draft. I just I feel like he's kind of. He's got big size, kind of like uh, Dante Culpepper, but he kind of moves like Luck. I think he kind of has a lot of similarities to Luck. I don't think he's, you know, Andrew Luck just yet, but I think I see a lot of those same things, and I think I see a lot of maturity from him being, you know, an underclassman, which which really impresses me. And I think whoever gets him is going to, as long as they, you know, don't, you know, I still don't think any of these quarterbacks, would be ready to start day one, and I know that's not going to happen. But uh, as long as they don't put too much stress on this guy or they have an offensive line that can protect him, um, I think he's going to be a very good player wherever he lands up. Uh, What do you think about uh, Tosh Boyd, Nick? You know, I really love this kid. You know, his footworks and mechanics do need some work, but I think those flaws could be coached up. And as you, we, we'll find a lot more about these kids come combine time and the official measurements, but as long as he measures at six feet or higher, I think that shouldn't be a huge issue. And he's built really thick like a brick house, so I think his athletic style of play shouldn't bring as much of an injury risk as more slender guys like an RG3. He's got a strong arm and sometimes just launches balls deep on the run. I think that one play where he, uh, I, think, I believe it was against Georgia Tech, he was rolling out to the left after making a couple of pass rushers miss, and it looked like he could maybe scramble for a six-yard game. Instead, he just throws it off one foot to, I think, your boy DeAndre Hopkins for a big game touchdown. Uh, you, he's got That was a wow play for me, definitely. Uh, he's got some work to do. I wouldn't want him starting right away, like you said, with a lot of these guys. But I think he's got a lot of future potential, especially if he can go to a good situation with talented receivers like he had at Clemson. Yeah, that's why one actually little knock on him is they have some very talented receivers that played with him there at Clemson. So, um, you know, if he goes, you know, the being the fact that he's probably projected as a second or third round pick might be to his advantage, though, because he's going to go to like a mid-level team where they're not going to hopefully not expect him to start right away. Um no, he's kind of what I would consider a fallback plan for a lot of teams. If they think there's a better quarterback or if they, if they don't like what's available to them in the first round or maybe even the second round, I think Boyd could be a very nice late second, early third round pick. Uh, obviously, the Raiders need a lot of help. They do have a lot of salary cap money, so they could do some stuff in free agent. But, you know, I would love to see if they think, you know, like if Morals is gone, Maybe they should take that Anthony Barr guy like you suggested in the mock draft last week, Nick. Get the top player available. And then get, you know, they need a running back with McFadden and Jennings at free agent. They get a, if they get like a Trey Mason or an Andre Williams the second and Boyd in the third, I would absolutely love that as, as our first three picks, something, you know, something in that, in that regard. So I, I think um, – I think Boyd could be a, a very solid player, and like I said, it's going to be to his advantage if he goes to a team that doesn't expect him to start right away. He can sit there and kind of watch and learn. Um, David Fales, the quarterback for the San Jose State Spartans, is, is up on a lot of draft boards. And I, I've watched this guy play uh, three or four times, in, or maybe just two or three times. But uh, I, 
I don't necessarily love him. What do you think about this David Fales guy? Well, uh, to start off with, you talk about tiers when you're looking at draft boards. And, you know, you have the top-tier quarterbacks are probably the top four. I would put Todd Boyd uh, probably in a tier by himself as the number five, and the rest of these guys are all quite a bit farther down, to, in my opinion anyway. But as far as David Fields go, you know, he's, he's tough. He fits the ball into tight windows, but I think that could possibly hurt him against better NFL defenses. He does at times flash the ability to, quote-unquote, throw the receiver open. Uh, some scouts do question his small hands and whether or not that could lead to some fumbling issues in the NFL. He, he's got decent mobility, but unlike a lot of college quarterbacks, he really does do a good job of keeping his eyes downfield when he's scrambling, trying to make the throw rather than just run. Uh, he's got good but not great arm strength. It seemed especially to me on throws outside the numbers, sometimes he really had to put everything he had into those throws and I don't know if maybe there's going to be some delivery issues, maybe is too long of a delivery on some of those longer throws for him in the NFL. He is reportedly very coachable, though, and he does appear confident when he's out there on the field with his throws. I think he could develop possibly into a good West Coast quarterback, but he would definitely need the right system. Yeah, definitely. And, again, he's one of those guys that could benefit from not being uh, starting right away. But, uh um, I, you know, I'm not, like I said, I'm not in love with him. I think, uh, I think he certainly has the potential in the right system. Um, he does have, he does have a strong arm. And like you said, I have been impressed with him being able to throw on the run. Um, but you know, it's one of those cases where if like, if you went to a place like, you know, Denver or New England or, you know, a place with a veteran quarterback where he could really just soak some things up. I think they could squeeze a lot of good uh, good out of him, you know, in years to come. Uh, A.J. McCarron, now you were you said on the podcast a few weeks back that you're going to be really surprised to see what A.J. McCarron looks like when he doesn't have that wicked offensive line like Alabama. Uh, what do you think about McCarron, yeah, you know, again, I like his pocket movement, and he can throw on the run, but it's really hard to judge a guy whose team is just by far superior talent-wise than pretty much every opponent they're going up against. I, I would have, a, I know he's a winner and all that, but there's a long line of the guys that were winners at the quarterback position in college that couldn't make that translate over to the NFL. I, I would worry about McCarron. I, I personally would not. I'm not high on him going into the draft. Yeah, I, I agree there, too. I think he's a guy that, again, that could sit and wait and watch things happen. Um, I think he could potentially be a very good quarterback, uh, you know, given, given the right system. But I think, I think you know, and I, and I appreciate the fact that he's coming to the NFL with a lot of experience. But you gotta, I got to see him perform under pressure before I can really put a, a lot of stock in A.J. McCarron. Uh, Wizard is on the line. That means it's time for ATS picks. What's up, Wizard? Hey, good afternoon, boys. How are you doing? Oh, we're doing good. Doing good. We got a little long-winded on our Hall of Fame discussion, so we got the Wizard appearing really late today. But uh, uh, that was a good one, so make sure you uh, – Play that back in case you missed it. Uh, Wizard, what do you got for us in this San Francisco-Seattle uh, game? What do you got well, for I the line? I currently got the line sitting at Seattle minus three with an over-under of 39 and a half. Um, oh. If you're going to ask me which way I'm going to go right off the bat, I'm going to tell you I like the favorite. Everything, all the research I've done uh, is – Although San Francisco's looked really good and the public is putting all their money on San Francisco because of their two road victories in the playoffs, uh, if you break down the data, Seattle should be about a two-point favorite if they were at a neutral site. And you add the three, and Seattle's home field advantage is probably more like four or five. So it should probably be Seattle minus five, five and a half, or six. And um, based on that, I'm going to take Seattle. I also think the two teams, as much of a defensive battle as they, they predict it, I think the two teams will go over 39.5 points. That's a pretty low over-under number for the NFL this year. I'm pretty sure they make it. Uh, last time they played, I think it was 36, and the time before, I believe it was 24 to 27. But, I, yeah, I, it's kind of hard when these games, these teams that have played each other so much and are so familiar, you think – you know, it's 
it's one of those things where you could see, you know, 35, 30, or 13 to 12. You it's just, it's, it's just really hard to gauge. Uh, but uh, it's going to be an emotional game, and I, I, I just don't know how you can pick against Seattle, especially when you just get into three right now. Um, obviously, that can maybe move a little bit. Um, three and a half, you know, San Francisco might might be a decent pick. But when you're just when you're getting three points, which is the you know the home field advantage in the NFL, and you got Seattle, who's not selling tickets to anybody with a California address, I think uh, I think you got to go Seattle when it's just when it's just the three points. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I'm shocked that it's only a three point spread at that low. You definitely got to take the home team Seahawks. Yeah. Um, uh, Wizard, what do you got for us in the AFC championship game? The AFC game, Denver is favored by five right now, and the over-under num- over number is 55 and a half. Okay. What do you think there, bud? Well, I'm gonna, I was going to defer on this one. I want to let one of you or Nick take this <laughs> one and okay. run okay. where I'll you want to go. I'll go first. Uh, Tom Brady hasn't won a Super Bowl in 10 years. He's not very good on the road in the playoffs. Uh, and I'm going to give Eric Casillas all the credit for that because I listen to him every morning. Those are his, those are his numbers. Um, but, still, you're giving five points to Tom Brady. i got to take Tom Brady. I, I'm sorry, Peyton. I love you. But this is your rival. This is the man that has been your nemesis forever. Belichick knows how to take strength away. I'm not sure how he's going to do it, and I'm not saying – New England is going to waltz in there and win this game, but I think it's a field goal game. You give me five points, Tom. Five points, Tom Brady. I gotta take Tom Brady. Nick, what do you think? Well, you talked earlier about how the Broncos kind of it seemed earlier this year just kind of took their foot off the pedal a little bit, and uh, I I agree with you that happened, and so I think that last week. The game against the Chargers was kind of just a warm-up game for them. I think the Broncos come out just fired up and win this by double-digit points, actually. I'm taking the Broncos all the way at five points. Okay. So let's choose a side, Wizard. Choose a side. Well, I'm I'm actually going to go with Nick here on this. But here's where here's what I say is going to happen by, by Sunday. I think that this right now the higher percentage of money is coming on uh, New England. They bought it down from five and a half. I think that's going to keep happening, and I see this thing coming all the way down to maybe three and a half or three. I think a lot of money is going to come on New England. Everybody's hyped on them, and they expect Peyton to choke, and I think Nick's right. I believe Denver's going to just come out and give them both barrels, and it won't even be close. There won't be any chance for a comeback. Uh, I think this one's one where you take Denver, and I believe even though it's 55 and a half, I'm going to be sitting there Sunday hoping that that will creep down to maybe 53, and I'm going to take the over. Oh, I I, I don't like that. I, I would have to go with the, the under there. But uh, but uh, if you guys if you guys think they're going to motor them down, I think the the over is probably probably the safe pick if you're thinking like a uh, Nick and the Wizard here. So, but anyway, Wizard, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, always a pleasure. Um, no, we're, we probably won't talk about the spread in the Pro Bowl next week. So uh, we'll, be, we'll, we'll definitely we'll definitely have you back for the uh, the end of the uh, Super Bowl roundtable, which is coming up the t- January 29th. We're going to have a slew of guests on for that. So make sure you check that out. And uh, again, make sure you go to rotorod.com and check out our Wire Troll All Stars for the football season. Um, basketball award should be up as well. Uh, sometime within the week. Got some new video game reviews on there as well. Um, and make sure you tune in to the Roto-Rob Fantasy Baseball Podcast tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. I am Josh take, with John. Take this, Nick, yeah. I'd like to throw out one challenge for your Super Bowl roundtable when we're going to come together and talk about the spreads. Since we'll only just have, well, the spread the over-under, that's all we'll have for the Super Bowl. I think each yep. one of us should probably try and bring our favorite three prop bets to that yep. conversation. Yep. I was I was gonna I was gonna throw that out to you and I want you to I want you to have a prop bet sheet ready for that and well maybe you can hit me and Nick up on the email and we'll 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 discuss that in uh thorough fashion. I'm I'm excited for that. I won 
100 bucks on the safety last year that just had to happen at the end of the game. So that's uh, what prop bets can do. You can throw $10 down on something, you lose 10 or you win 100 So uh, that's uh, that's the fun of the Super Bowl. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely we will we'll get into those prop bets. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, like I said, uh, this is the Roto-Rob Fantasy Football Weekly Plus ATS Picks. Thank you f- to Matthew Marshall. Uh, thanks to V for joining us. Um, Nick, you're the best. Wizard, you're the man. We will see you next week.